This is Mission.org. What Callminer is, is an AI-powered conversation intelligence platform. It is a platform that is used in thousands of large enterprise companies that have customer service centers. So they use it in the customer service center and it captures, analyzes all the conversations, the calls, the chats, the texts that are happening with these customers. And it provides coaching back to the actual agents. But at a larger scale, the value proposition is that the insights that you can get from those millions of interactions are gold to a chief product officer, to a CMO, to the CRO in some cases, and ultimately to the CEO. Actionable insights are precious to everyone in a company, especially marketers. But insights are just step one. You also need effective strategies for getting amazing content out in the world that reaches your intended audience. I'm your host, Jeremy Bergeron, our guest on Marketing Trends, Eric Williamson, the Chief Marketing Officer for CallMiner, chats with us more about CallMiner, his experience joining the team in 2020, and the rebranding he's recently led there. Eric also breaks down great advice on how to create content that cuts through the noise and suggests that B2B marketers can learn a lot from B2C marketers. Let's get into it. This is a, a stat and a question that comes from Salesforce's state of marketing report they put out every year. Super interesting. They pulled a lot of marketing leaders in lots of industries. And so the question goes, 72% of marketers say that meeting customer expectations is more difficult than it was a year ago and change. How has this played out for you? And what is your team doing to tackle this this really consistent challenge of rising customer expectations? Uh, so great, great stat and great question. Um, you know, I think what's interesting is when it comes to meeting customers' expectation, I, I live in a B2B marketing world, uh, but whether you're you know, B2B or B2C, I think one of the things that is impacting this and may have impacted that stat is that the bar gets set really, really high in terms of what customers expect. Um, you've got what, when you name it, Amazon probably, I think of immediately when I think of like who is really, you know, delivering on what a customer expects. So whether you're a B2B tech company or you're a B2C, you know, company going direct to consumer, that's the bar. Uh, so I think right off the bat, it's a really, it's a really tough bar to meet um, for, for call miner. Um, I think when I think about our customer expectations, first and foremost, our ideal customer profile has evolved. Uh, so as our company has grown, we have grown from just selling into customer service centers uh, and, the, and the VPs and the directors of, of, of a contact center to really selling in across the C-suite at this point. Um, our technology is used primarily in the contact center, but you know, its ultimate value is the insights that you're able to get out of thousands and millions of customer interactions and bubble that up to your CMO, bubble that up to your chief product officer. So for us, in terms of meeting those expectations, I think it's really shifted to 
more segments uh, as opposed to one particular message that goes to all of our executives and all of our personas that we go after. Um, and then figuring out the best way to do that at scale, um, because, you know, uh, depending on the size of the company that you uh, are leading marketing for, there's only so many bodies and so many hands that can, can get the work done. So when you're talking about trying to personalize content for 15 different segments, you have to get kind of scrappy. Um, and one of the things that, that we've tried to do is squeeze every last drop out of any individual asset. So let's say you've had to develop a white paper. Uh, that white paper needs to translate into three blog posts, uh, on a webinar, um, you know, maybe it's a podcast episode topic or something, um, and then five or six social media factoids. Uh, so you have to really be scrappy in order to be able to do this. And I think the last part in terms of meeting customer expectations and, and trying to achieve something close to that bar is, you know, there's a lot of companies out there that do nearly exactly what your company does too. There's a lot of companies out there for my, you know, in, in my case that are talking about artificial intelligence. Um, so refocusing on, on quality, uh, not so much on the quantity and the volume, a really good piece of content, a really good message is going to rise above the pack and above the noise. So I think I would even do less you know, number of campaigns or white papers and really focusing on, on a, doing a really high quality one. And that's going to get your name out there. Mm, I love it. Okay. Second question. 90% um, of marketers say that the pandemic the last couple of years has changed their digital engagement strategy. What are some new strategies and tactics high level your team has adopted over the past year and a half? Sure. So first and foremost, uh, I am very happy uh, to see in-person events coming back. I mean, again, B2B tech, it's almost, you know, that's just some of the lifeblood to being able to deliver, you know, your pipeline to, to the sales force. And honestly, the way the pandemic kind of went is it, dropped on us immediately and all events just stopped. Uh, and I think for the first three or four months, we all just naturally went to like, well, we'll just do virtual events. And that took three or four months to figure it out. And I think once we all sort of figured it out, we started realizing this really isn't driving as much, you know, quality pipeline as, as anything close to the in-person part. And it's because you can't duplicate a lot of the networking and a lot of the little things that happen in the booth um, when you're doing a virtual event. So happy to see that coming back. What I would say is what we're finding post pandemic is I think there's a one, I think the events as a part of your marketing strategy has changed forever. I don't know that you're ever going to see, you know, the, as big of uh, a level of crowds that would go to these things. So where that's shifted us is we have to think about this in a hybrid fashion. Uh, so when these are events that we own, we're purposefully planning for them to be in person, but also to have some aspect of it to be recorded and broadcasted live or at least quickly on demand afterwards. So that's a significant shift. We've never thought about that way before. I think the other, the other thing I would say is, um, and we realized we already had the value of this in terms of having a, a customer peer-to-peer -peer community aspect of our value proposition, but it really came in. Uh, as a godsend during the pandemic. So um, we have a, a customer community, you know, uh, that we typically, it was more of like a, a resource for them to be able to go get assets and find content that was geared for our customers. But when the pandemic hit, 
think about it in terms of these contact centers. We're talking contact centers that in some cases they had some remote work from home people, but largely they were all sitting together in office with headsets. Um, they immediately had to shift to a fully remote working from home workforce. Um, and the platforms like ours that are out there enable that, but the actual human process of shifting to that and shifting the processes and the way they work to that is really hard. So we were able to use our customer community to allow a peer-to-peer think tank among our customers to come up with solutions and share ideas on how they were going to do this. And I, I thought one, that was just really awesome to see our customers sharing that knowledge together. But then two, coming out of it, it, it just kind of it focused us in on the value that we can offer to our customers in providing a platform where they can share ideas peer to peer. So even beyond the pandemic, just making that part of what we offer uh, to our customers. And the company that I was at before coming to Call Miner was a company called Acquia, which is built on top of an open source uh, CMS. So if you're familiar with any of the open source philosophies, that that general idea, you know, of community um, and working together. Uh, it's fundamental to it. So applying that to some degree, even if you're working in a proprietary space, I think is key. Mm. I noticed that you, you've you joined CallMiner. You've been at CallMiner now j- just over a year, right? Uh, yeah, look, about, about a year and a half uh, okay. is, is about where I'm at. But uh, yeah, I was at Acquia before coming here uh, for about four years. And we had a nice uh, sort of exit at the end of that, uh, into the Vista family. So, which you should know from Austin. There you go. Yes, and indeed. Well, and I'm curious about just, of course, the timing of like, we know what happened in the world the past, you know, year and, and change. You jump into this marketing leader role there at Call Miner. What was that like for you? I mean, you have marketing leadership experience and I want to get into your background a bit too, but but sure. coming into Call Miner at the time of the, the state of the world, what was that like for you? Did that change your priorities a bit stepping into the CMO role there? What was coming up for you at that time? I don't know that it changed my priorities, but it definitely was a surreal. I mean, I don't think any of us, I mean, you can imagine starting a new company and, you know, I'm, I'm at this point in my career, I've, I've worked with, you know, I've, I've been new at a variety of different companies, but I've never done that where you're a hundred percent remote. You're not meeting anyone in person uh, on your team, et cetera. So I think that was just kind of a, a very strange experience, but I, I did walk in with a very clear understanding of what my mission was and what, you know, what kind of the top priorities were, at least for my first 12 months. Uh, And that came through, you know, a lot of, uh, during the interview process, a lot of good chats with the CEO um, and being very clear that, you know, what kind of playbook that I need to walk in the door with. And for us, um, that playbook included a massive, complete rebrand uh, of Call Miner, um, which I can dive into at, you know, at some point if you want. Um, and then quickly turning that attention to overhauling kind of how we how we do marketing here, because it, it was for the most part a classic inbound scenario where we were running you know bespoke campaigns to deliver MQLs uh, that we would then run through a BDR team to get to, to pipeline for the for the sales org. So shifting, blowing that engine up and shifting to, you know, a lot of intent-based, account-based marketing was, those were my two big playbooks that I had to bring to the table coming, uh, coming in and deliver in the first year. Had you gone through a rebrand prior or led, led a rebrand prior to that? Uh, yes. So um, at Acquia, uh, led a full rebrand there as well. And that, you know, kind of, it 
an observation, I think it's part of the scaling process. You, what happens with these you know, tech companies is you grow really fast and all of a sudden you realize that your core messaging, your website, uh, even your visual identity has not caught up with what you're actually selling, what your value proposition has evolved to. So you get to this space where you're, you're you know, whatever, at 40, 50, 60 million ARR, and you realize if I'm going to get to 150, we, we've got to like look and play the part. And essentially, you've got to catch your brand up with where your company actually is. So it happened at Acquia. We rebranded, uh, relaunched everything, and it helped us scale, I guess, to, you know, our, our point of exit. But that's kind of where we are at Call Miner is we're at that, that critical point where we need to scale now people, our processes. Um, so we did the rebrand, um, changed everything except for the name because we have a lot of customers, and a lot of equity there. Uh, even, even though, you know, obviously it clearly started out as just speech analytics and now we're completely omni-channel, but uh, everything, you know, from the overarching mission values, our elevator pitch, kind of that core framework to the logo, all the visual identity. So it was a really I'm really passionate about those projects. They're fun to me. And then rolling it out is the hard part. Uh, you know, you, you roll it out across the first stage of initial critical assets like your website, and then it takes you another 12 months to actually roll it out across everything else. So it seems like it's, it's certainly seems common that, you know, a CMO gets brought in to either rebrand or reorg, yeah. sometimes the retire or, or get to get to that point. Yeah. Um, and you've now gone through a cool acquisition before you've gone through that process. And then you also talked about coming from the agency side of things and, and really having this kind of full scope understanding of brand. What are some of the things that you did in the first, you know, 90 days or so in, in terms of the rebrand and the focus there? Because you had some great experience. You have, you know, some perspective when it comes to this stuff. What are some of the things you're thinking and doing at Call Miner during the rebrand? Sure. Yeah, I can kind of take you through uh, at least the playbook that that I use for a rebrand that kind of learned from experience. And some of it came from my agency side. So on the agency side, it was primarily working for B2C companies. And that's like everybody from Google to JetBlue to we, I think they're now no longer, but from a branding standpoint, we um, at one of the agencies I was at, we came up with everything about the brand for Microsoft retail stores, which was kind of a riff off of the Apple stores. But, you know, did a lot of big branding projects for a lot of those on, on the B2C side. That informed how I approached things at Acquia uh, for the rebrand there. And then I took that experience at Acquia and, you know, coming out of those projects, there's always something that you wish you would have done a little different. You learned. So I applied a lot of that to how we approach call miners. And it kind of goes like you start off with a lot of your just core fundamental North Star elements. That's going to be like your mission, your values. Uh, what is your long form elevator pitch, your tweet elevator pitch? If you get those down, then you can start going into what are my three to four messaging pillars? Um, and you start to blow those out a little bit per persona. Once you've got that core of the, the you, you always do the North Star and the messaging first before you even try to touch the visual identity. Um, I think if it's a mistake if you start looking at logos and color palettes and you haven't even figured out like what your core values are. So the, the fun part obviously is the creative and the visual identity, and then you apply it to a website and everything else, but that's essentially the, the sequence. Um, and then when you roll it out, you know, the, the key on rolling it out is when you're going to launch the new brand, you have to have already applied it to a lot of your core assets. So figure out that minimum threshold of like your website, 
your most popular white papers and content and things like that, apply it to those and then know that there's going to be another 12 months where you're rolling the new brand out to a lot of the old legacy stuff. Mm. I wanted to ask you about your career path because it looks like you started off as a recruiter, according to LinkedIn. Yeah. Basically, I was a BDR. My first job, it was like oh. cold call city, which <laughs> like, which is ironic now because the BDR team rolls up under me. Ah, that's an interesting, we, we can talk about that too, because I'm, I'm seeing that more and more where the BDR team is rolling up to, to marketing. Not not always, but we're seeing that as well. But just just give us the quick kind of path from like, from, and I love that that start for you. I think, boy, oh boy, to start in the BDR world, hustle on the phones to now, to see where you're at now is it's a beautiful story, but maybe just kind of tell us kind of how that started and yeah, give us the quick one, two, three on that. Yeah. So I think that the BDR piece, I think is, I'm, I'm super proud of actually, I think you'd find that there's a lot of CMOs and definitely CROs that their first job out of college was a BDR. Um, it's your, you know, I you know, had good grades and, and I came out uh, of undergrad right around the time that, you know, the internet was just sort of starting to boom, right? So limitless, no clue what I wanted to do, figured I'd start out as just getting, getting a job. What I found is uh, I learned a lot of good fundamentals as a BDR. I learned how to sell. I learned, and you know, I'm I'm a marketer now, but I'm I've never stopped selling. Every time I'm you know pitching an idea or or a strategy, it's selling it. But very quickly after spending about a year or so as a BDR, I had an opportunity to join a startup, and that changed the trajectory of my career. I learned that I really like marketing. I happened to work in marketing at the startup because as startups you know, go. Right. And I learned that I really love marketing and that my career was going to be defined and sort of uh, aligned to this new internet thing. So from there, it was, you know, startup and went to digital marketing uh, on the agency side that went from smaller shops focused on websites to, the biggest agencies out there working on the biggest brands. And at some point I had gotten to around like an SVP level uh, at Mullen Lowe here in, in the Boston area, working on JetBlue and Acura and some great brands. And it, it just felt like the right time to flip to the client side. Uh, and so that's when I flipped over to Acquia and I've been in the B2B tech space since. Mm, I love that. It's awesome. Um, let's get to know Call Miner a bit here, just out the gate, you know, for, for the audience, those who don't know, I have heard of Call Miner for a long time, being in the sales world before I knew I knew the brand and was excited to, to finally connect to connect with you. But can you describe like what you know what is Call Miner, you know, and kind of describe your role there at Call Miner? Sure. So I'm the chief marketing officer at Call Miner. And what Call Miner is is an AI powered conversation intelligence platform. Uh, breaking that down into more simple terms, it is a platform that is used in um, not every, but you know, thousands of large enterprise companies that have customer service centers. Uh, so they use it in the customer service center and it captures, analyzes all the conversations, the calls, the chats, the texts that are, that are happening with these customers. And it provides uh, coaching back to the actual agents. But at a larger scale, the value proposition is that the insights that you can get from those millions of, of interactions are gold uh, to a chief product officer, to a CMO, to the CRO in some cases, and ultimately to the CEO. Awesome. What are some of these things you're learning now in terms of aligning sales and marketing? I know this is an age-old topic between sales and marketing. It always comes up these days. 
There's some really interesting technology. You mentioned Sixth Sense and others that, that we use as well, but just kind of your thoughts around and how you're aligning sales and marketing now and how you approach that alignment. And I'd love to just get your perspective on that. Sure. I think, uh, so uh, you know, this is even before anything like Sixth Sense or account-based marketing became a, a thing. I think this is kind of an age old question for how do you align sales and marketing? First and foremost, you have to have trust uh, between and respect between the CRO and the CMO. Um, if you guys are, are you, if, if the two of them are not on a level playing field, if they don't respect each other, it's not going to work. Um, so I think that the other thing would be be very clear about the one or two main KPIs that you both co-own. This isn't just a marketing problem we might have or a sales problem we might have. It's both of our problems to fix. Beyond that, I think it gets into you know people and technology and some of the some of the process, and that's where I feel like account based marketing has really helped me uh, gain more uh, alignment um, at the tactical operational level. It sort of forces you to really focus in your marketing investments, but also your BDR team and your sales team, and, and align them completely into this flow from intent behavior that you jump on, uh, that then the BDRs and the sales team are kind of like collaborating to go after. Marketing is there to provide the very sort of highly targeted air cover that's happening. But for the most part, it's this BDR and sales alignment that it forces that I think is what makes it so powerful. Um, and it's it's been you know, what might take two years to try and get two organizations that you know do slightly different things organized together. Um, it forces you to do it in six to 12 months uh, if you're really making a bet on ABM. So, you know, kudos to Sixth Sense because I think it's a really great platform uh, that delivers some great intelligence. It's very helpful in, in creating that alignment. Can you share the, the couple of KPIs that you share with the CRO, what those are for you? Uh, definitely. So first and foremost, it's a uh, gross pipeline uh, is, is, you know, what I look at the most. Um, then, of course, uh, we look at net pipelines. So we have particular targets that we talk about with the board every uh, every quarter. That's uh, the, the best time of the quarter, right? <laughs> but uh, so gross pipeline is usually the biggest challenge. Net pipeline is obviously the you know gross minus our takeouts from you know disqualified, closed one, et cetera. But gross pipeline is is the one that comes from channel, from sales and from marketing and sales and marketing. The, the big thing is just to agree up front that it's just revenue generation. Channels are a completely different beast, but sales and marketing are one team and it's just revenue generation. So if you can get to that and focus on gross pipeline numbers, then I think you know there's the derivatives of that. But I think that's the key number that we look at. Can you talk about the BDR team rolling up to marketing? Was that already done before you were in the role or did you make that switch? I've only had a couple organizations that do it that way. BDRs always roll up to sales. Yeah. Now we're seeing this a little bit more, but talk about that a bit. I've seen it in both. It wasn't, it was rolling up under sales before and, you know, to full transparency, the, the main, you know, one of the reasons we moved it is we had some org changes that were happening in the sales organization. And I could see that the BDR team was going to get left a little bit leaderless. And they're so critical to that connection between marketing and sales that, I just raised my hand and, and said, you know, I'll take it, let's go. And it's been, you know, uh, it's, it's been an interesting ride. That's, I think BDRs and inside sales coming out of this pandemic are, it's the hottest role right now. Um, it is 
so competitive out there. The salaries are, are getting a little bit insane for, in some cases, these are me straight out of school. I mean, with, you know, clueless and this is your first job, but the salaries and the career paths have to be super tight. Mm-hmm. You have to have a really good, essentially offer uh, for these, uh, these people who are going to be inside sales or BDRs. Um, so we've had to ramp that up really fast and get to a place where we can be competitive because I think we had like a classic BDR model before the pandemic happened. Hmm. What are some of the, the MarTech you rely on and how are you using these platforms to level up your marketing efforts? You talked about Sixth Sense, any others? Certainly. So I, I think like um, I, I'm guessing 90% of the B2B tech world out there, Salesforce is our core CRM. And you know I think of these in ecosystems and like centers of gravity. Um, and in our case, Salesforce is the center of gravity that the rest of our, our things kind of gravitate around um, because it is the single source of truth. When I look at pipeline, um, everything else comes out of that, but that's the, that's the single source of truth for our data that we look at at an executive level. Beyond that, we've got Marketo for our marketing automation. We have Drift, uh, big fan of Drift. Um, there are chat platform. Um, we, like you had said earlier, are using Sixth Sense uh, for our intent uh, behavior platform for account-based marketing. Seismic um, is good old Boston company here too, but um, they're, they're going gangbusters, but they are a really great sales enablement platform focused around content. Um, you've got the age old problem of marketing has created reams years worth of amazing content um, and sales can't ever find it because it's sitting in a Google you know, folder or something. This presents it out there. Uh, you know, going back to the going back to Salesforce, I think what's great about all these is the integration with Salesforce presents a lot of this content or the six QAs, if you're thinking about six cents, right there in Salesforce. So the sales team and the BDRs are spending all their day looking in Salesforce as opposed to hopping around different platforms. So that's ultimately what we look for. There's a few others, but those are the main ones. Cool. All right. Most companies are collecting this data. They're collecting phone calls and surveys, et cetera. But a lot of times they're having a hard time actually mining those insights from this kind of dark data. How are brands then turning the insights CallMiner provides into action, right? Can you share some examples? Sure. So I'll, I'll first and foremost, you know, why is it difficult? Well, one, I think you, you know, you're still dealing with, with humans when it comes to, you know, even though customer experience has been around for a while, um, I think most of the people who are customer experience leaders have built their careers on thinking about customer experience as something that you get to those scores through surveys only, um, NPS scores, SAT scores, et cetera, versus we're actually looking at this, all that dark data, as you, as you call it, is sitting there and has been sitting there readily available in those contact centers. It's daunting. Um, it's, you know, big data is daunting, but a lot of this data and trying to do this at scale is a, a little bit of a scary thing if it's new into your organization. So, our platform um, is offered up and is used by enterprise organizations. It's not a, a situation where we're saying it's solicited feedback versus unsolicited feedback. It's an and proposition. So if you're using a Qualtrics or something like that as your survey platform, um, it's our integration with Qualtrics or something, you know, somebody like Qualtrics, whether it be in moment or whatever. That's the integration that provides the comprehensive view. Uh, as far as actionable insights that come out of this, I'll give you one that, that I love. You're familiar with Otter Products. You know, they make 
those indestructible cases for your phone. Oh yeah. Yep. So Auto Products uses our platform. And as we were talking about product insights, if you really just think about it, if you're able to find those nuggets of wisdom out of millions of phone calls and millions of texts and chats, they were able to understand a product efficiency uh, that was then able to come from out of the contact center and get and get elevated to the chief product officer. And they were able to make big changes to their product and development. So you know, that's just a, a typical use case product. Customer intelligence is things that go to either your CMO or your CXO, but that same kind of elevation between your contact center and the people who are running your business is really what we're starting to see uh, as people start to see that there's value that's been ignored in the contact center. Hmm. So tech like CallMiner certainly has clear implications for the customer experience, but how does it impact the employee experience? Uh, great question. Um, and almost, you know, anything with experience in it, I think people have just thrown surveys at for, for most of their career. Uh, so it's, it's a little bit of a similar answer because I would break it into two pieces. So first and foremost, our platform is used, you know, in the customer service center. So from an employee experience for the thousands and millions of, of agents and customer service agents, it improves their day-to-day experience because it's delivering them insights at speed that they can use in those interactions to deliver better customer experience. It's doing it in real time as opposed to just post-call. So, and then think of it as a level above that, the the directors and the analysts that are working with those agents, they're able to see things and coach in real time as well through the platform. So from an experience standpoint in the contact center, that's how our platform helps them Beyond that, at the rest of the organization level, I think we go back to these surveys, you know, unsolicited versus solicited feedback. Um, They're able to couple additional data that they're able to gather by essentially analyzing all the internal calls that are happening throughout the organization. And in a similar fashion that you do that with a customer service interaction, they're able to find insights that uncover some areas of, of dissatisfaction within the employee base that maybe they're just not answering on that, uh, that you know, quarterly employee SAT survey that they're filling out. So I think it's just the combination of that additional layer of data. Mm, that's great. This is awesome, Eric. You're just a phenomenal man. This is fantastic. Um, let's get into the lightning round, kind of some fun questions I want to ask you. Before we actually do that, is there anything else you want to make sure we touch on I mean, I know we, you know, we talked about B2B and B2C. Mm-hmm. Um, I guess I would just say, I think there's a lot that B2B marketers can, can learn from the B2C side of the house. Mm. Um, I would just say that, you know, when I came over from the agency side, having worked a lot on B2C, I was a little bit shocked at how formulaic and kind of like, it just wasn't very creative. They were lacking emotion uh, in terms of a lot of the things that I saw in a lot of B2B tech. And I think there's a lot of opportunity for B2B tech, especially marketers to learn from what a lot of these bigger B2C brands are, have been doing. In particular, you know, don't skimp on some of the really great writing and messaging. Don't, you know, don't skimp on some of the great creative and visual identity. And most importantly, if you go so far that you're just putting out direct, like super obvious, my product does this messaging, you're missing the whole point of injecting emotion into your messaging. So at the end of the day, this person that you're trying to engage with is to sell your B2B, you know, whatever the situation is, is still a human. And 
they've got these problems that they want your technology to solve and problems are inherently emotional. So forgetting to inject emotion in there, I think is the biggest B2B classic mistake that we could make. Is there any experimenting going on like R&D stuff on the marketing side? Are you, are you trying new things, testing new things? Um, we're always, you know, I think a lot of the testing that we do, um, I, I don't know if I would think of it as, it is experimenting, but it's essentially like your scientific method. We have hypotheses that we then go do out three or four different A-B tests. And we try to apply that. Probably the biggest place we do it is on our website, which is, you know, to any company, I would assume is probably one of the most valuable touch points in your entire ecosystem. But at any given time, we have about four or five different A-B tests that are running uh, on our site to just try and squeeze an additional, you know, percentage point of, of average conversion rate or just get a little bit more cross traffic from here to there. So we're constantly testing. That's probably the biggest place we spend the most time. Hmm. So you've already, you know, you've been in marketing leadership. You've gone through some great experiences, agency side, taking a company through a really cool acquisition now at call miner, like what's, what's next for you in terms of like just personal professional goal? Like, what do you want to do next? You want to go through an IPO or another acquisition or. Well, we'll see what happens uh, in terms of call miners future. We're obviously we're, you know, in the, we're in the place where we're growing 25, 35% uh, year over year, uh, which is a nice clip. And, and we're definitely on the, on the radar. I think we will want to do, you know, uh, we'll want to grow and, and get into next year. Hopefully we do some acquisitions of our own, uh, which is one of the, you know, typical ways that a company like ours scales to get to that exit. Whether the sure. exit is a acquisition, like we get acquired by a, a Vista or a, a, you know, a larger strategic like Microsoft or it's an IPO. I don't know. Um, personally, I've been through the acquisition piece. Uh, I would be happy for that to be our exit here at Call Miner, but at some point in my career, I would love to go through an IPO. I think that would be, um, it's a new experience, but I think it would be exciting and a challenge, which, uh, you know, love, love a good challenge. That's awesome. Awesome. Okay, cool. So let's do lightning round. Um, a quick mention here to our listeners. This podcast is brought to you by Salesforce. Shout out to Salesforce. When you think about the world's number one CRM, think about Salesforce and think about marketing and engagement coming together. If you want to learn more, head over to salesforce.com forward slash marketing. We've got Eric Williamson, CMO for CallMiner in the house. First question, Eric, what are you betting on for the future? It could be personally, it could be professionally, it could be a bit of both, but what are you betting on for the future? Uh, I mean, right now I'm betting everything on, on uh, helping CallMiner get, uh, you know, scale from, from, you know, 70, 80 million to 150. But uh, so I'm betting on, artificial intelligence and uh, artificial intelligence helping solve some of the big data problems um, in terms of uh, call miner specifically from a marketing tactical standpoint. Uh, we talked a little bit about this, but uh, you know, made a big bet and, and continue to be confident about account-based marketing being really the way that you shift uh, your marketing strategy from the previous sort of spray and pray type of approach. Okay. If you have to build a marketing team from scratch tomorrow, what role are you hiring first and why? Great question. Uh, I think right out of the bat, it would either be marketing operations uh, because you know I've got this, this chart that I, I show the board or whoever else, and uh, I give a little title to each of my teams and marketing operations is called the glue because uh, the entire 
marketing department it revolves kind of around them in one way or for one shape or, or another. It'd either be them or demand gen. Um, if I had to come in right out of the bat, I would I would prioritize those two. Okay. Wendy's and Chipotle join a growing number of companies and brands exploring this potential of virtual worlds. Uh, what do you make of this? Uh, so Chipotle has one of the best in the biz and Tressy, who probably is, is uh, driving uh, anything they're doing uh, in the metaverse. Uh, but I think um, I can tell you right now some, from some of my agency friends that they're all starting to explore it for a lot of the brands on the B2C side. I think um, that it's going to be something that brands, especially on the consumer side, are going to have to at least explore during the next 18 months. I hope um, and this is no knock on agencies or, or, or brands, but I hope we don't get in there and mess it up right off the bat because we <laughs> advertisers have a tendency to take something cool and turn it into an ad really fast. So I think that would be what I would warn against is maybe spend the next 18 months just being present um, as opposed to trying to make it what you want it to be. Mm, I, I really like that. What about the B2B side? You think there's a B2B play for the metaverse? Uh, I, I think there, there might be, I can't see, especially B2B tech, because we're typically, you know, we haven't reached, you know, we're not an Oracle or a Microsoft at this point in terms of like the money that we can throw around. So if I had to prioritize, it's not something that I would be able to do. Um, but I think B2B is going to lag B2C anything with anything, uh, you know, for the metaverse. Hmm. Um, answer this question. What impresses you? Smart copy um like really clever uh well done i don't care if it's b2c or if it's b2b but uh, and this could just be the agency person in me but whatever a really smart headline where you could almost see what the original brief was if you you could unpack it in your brain you can be like just impressed with uh the creativity that went into it but it's also just short succinct derives emotion so mm. that's that's what impresses me right off the bat if you had access to a time machine, where and when would you go? Probably like the 1920s. Um, oh, okay. You know, Great Gatsby is, is hands down my favorite book ever. Um, I must have, I think I've read it a hundred times. And wow. just, uh, I think that would have been an interesting time to, to be alive and just to, to see uh, is the 1920s. So oh, that's cool. Okay. Um, what is your favorite app on your phone? Favorite app on my phone, probably Instagram. Okay. Um, what's a skill you believe everyone should have? Know how to tell a story. So you know, I think um, it's funny because uh, as I've you know continued upward in my career, uh, you know, obviously had a lot of experience managing people, and and I think somewhere along the line that the, the skill of just the basic thing that, that we used to get taught, which was you know. How do you construct a story? It's tell them what you're going to tell them, tell them in three points and tell them what you told them. I think that's just gotten lost somewhere. But, um, you know, I've, I've got a 17 year old son and I've, I've explained to him, of course, it just goes in one ear at the other. But how important it is for him to be able to tell a succinct story, regardless of what he's doing. Uh, he's writing a report. He's, you know, pitching his boss on something in the future. But how to build a narrative. That's great. I love that answer. Eric, thank you again, man. This, this is fantastic. This has been great. And I appreciate you guys taking the time.
you have eight seconds to make a connection or risk a click away onto the next topic. The difference lies in your ability to deliver relevant experiences to your audience across devices and across channels. But delivering on a really great experience is impossible without the right people and the right technology. You've got the right people, but your technology choices will make or break someone's experience with your brand. At the center of gravity of your digital experience, Brightspot Content Management System can deliver relevant content, personalized experiences, and cross-channel synergies to create unforgettable brand experiences. So you can be a bright spot in someone's day. Head over to brightspot.com forward slash marketing trends to find out right now. From global crisis to hunger relief efforts, the messages you deliver save lives, inform important decision-making, and help keep communities safe and sound. The speed and scale of your content needs to be delivered faster and on a much larger scale. Brightspot Content Management System has supported some of the world's largest brands to communicate on a global scale. From Johnson & Johnson sharing critical information with their customers to helping Whole Foods tell their brand story to a global audience. Brightspot is designed to handle rapid iteration and personalized messages to those you care about most. Learn more at brightspot.com forward slash marketing trends.